Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What's driving the conversation in California today? Every weekday at this time, we explore a topic that's making news in our state. This is the State of California. Good afternoon. This is the State of California. Doug Sovereign is away today. The California legislature has passed potentially groundbreaking legislation that would give fast food workers better working conditions and pay. AB 257 is now on the governor's desk, and if he signs it into law, a state fast food council will be established that would have the power to impose minimum standards on wages, hours, and conditions related to health and safety. We're going to talk more about it. We're going to turn to the KCBS Ring Central Newsline and speak with David Madlin. He's a senior advisor to the American Worker Project at the Center for American Progress. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Put this in perspective for us. Give us a little bit of context here. How big of a deal is this legislation? How big of a departure will it be from the way things are done now? Well, I think it's one of the biggest and most important labor bills in decades. Um, It's so important because it has the power to transform the fast food industry, which is the quintessential low-wage industry, and turn it into a, uh, a sector with decent jobs with good wages and benefits. You know, there was an op-ed recently in the Los Angeles Times talking about it not being novel, even within the United States, uh, saying that uh, there used to be industry committees or wage boards. How does this legislation improve on some of those committees? Yeah, so it's both groundbreaking as well as it harkens back to things that have been successful in the past. And it's, you know, it's a little bit different than some of the wage boards we've had in the past because it can tackle multiple issues, not just wages, but also safety and training, for example. Um, and it, it's really so important because it empowers workers to have the seat at the table, which they haven't had in the current conditions. And it also brings not only the lead brand franchise but also the franchisees, the sort of smaller workplaces where most workers uh, are actually employed. And it brings all of these parties together along with government regulators and then sets standards across an entire industry. And sort of that whole package is really uh, pretty groundbreaking. Some folks might ask, why don't these fast food workers just unionize? Why go through this complicated process of putting together these boards and making committees and studying things? Well, there's a couple reasons. The first is that our federal law, which uh, regulates joining a union, is, makes it very difficult for most workers to join a union and almost uh, impossible for workers in an industry like fast food because even if they succeeded at joining a union when in the face of a strong employer opposition, when they try to bargain, a collectively bargain, which is a point of joining a union and why you, you know, how you'd get higher wages and benefits, they would most likely be negotiating with the franchise owner that has little ability to rate, they can't raise prices, they can't change the menu items, they can't change the way they structure anything. So you need this uh, council to bring together the, both the franchise 
owners with the big brands as well as the workers, because joining a union, they would just be negotiating with the, the franchise owner who, who can't profitably raise wages on their own. Very interesting. It was a close vote. It's now sitting on the governor's desk. Apparently, he has until the end of September to sign it or veto it. Has there been pushback from the fast food companies, the franchisees? Yes, and you know, it's, it's unfortunately it's kind of what you'd expect, which often happens when, for example, the attempts to raise the minimum wage. That uh, you know, something that might change, raise their costs a little bit, or change their business practices, they've tended to oppose. And there, um, for all the reasons, I'm excited. Not only can this transform fast food, but I think it can transform other low-wage industries and really create uh, a model that spreads around the rest of the country. And I think uh, to some opponents of it, that's concerning as well. Right, because they're going to argue that this is really going to raise the cost of the items on the menu, that, that everybody who buys a hamburger at McDonald's is going to pay for it. Yeah, and but typically we've seen that when we raise the minimum wage, for example, the, the any increased costs that are passed on to consumers are pretty small, and I think they're sort of blowing this out of, out of proportion because really the biggest impact is going to be that workers are going to have better jobs, they're going to have safer working conditions, they're going to have less discrimination, less harassment, um, and, and this voice on the job, they're actually, you know, they also then will be able to more, they'll have more purchasing power to, to consume the kind of goods and services that they're uh, trying, that they're providing right now, and that can actually help stimulate the whole economy. We all know that the pandemic has led to a worker shortage, especially in the fast food industry. Do you think something like this could make up that shortage, attract more workers? Absolutely, because one of you know, as in, in fast food right now, turnover is over a hundred percent, which means that every every year they're going through an entire new workforce to, at a typical place. And so when you raise the working conditions, not only with better wages and benefits, but also this sort of voice mechanism where workers have have a seat at the table, they're much more likely to stay on the job. And that's actually one of the ways that reduces the cost because turnover is very expensive. Hiring and training new workers is quite costly. And so the, you know, that's among the reasons that things like raising the minimum wage don't just lead to direct as much cost increases as some of the opponents will argue for. You mentioned that you hope that this particular model that is aimed at fast food workers could could also be expanded to other industries as well. Give me an example, uh, like like what kind of industry? Well, there's lots of low wage industries that are similarly what we call fissured, where layers of contracting or franchising in this case that make it very difficult to raise standards through traditional mechanisms like joining a union. And so you can think, see that in home care, for example. Um, a lot of time, and so that's these are the kind of industries. It's it's uh, or even transportation, a lot of transportation kind of uh, industries. So, um, unfortunately, today too many industries resemble fast food, and that's why I think it can uh, really apply elsewhere as well. Well, you mentioned wage, you mentioned safety, and, and some of those issues that can be addressed by bringing everybody to the table with this council. Um, does it do anything to improve health care for the workers? Um, so that's the the healthcare. I don't think they can directly negotiate that. I think that's a federal preemption issue. Um, that you're getting into this is there's a federal law that I'm not the expert on ERISA, but I, I so I think it's more indirectly that they can raise their wages, which then they can have more money to be able to purchase healthcare. Um, is my sense of how this is likely to work, but I uh, feel I'm speaking a little bit beyond my expertise on that. 
got you. David, thank you so much for your time. It's sitting on the governor's desk. We'll see if he signs it or vetoes it. David Madlin is a senior advisor to the American Worker Project at the Center for American Progress. And you can hear the state of California every weekday at 3.30 p.m. It's also available at kcbsradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.